Hey, welcome to the podcast for The Kelly Cotrera Show for Thursday, September the 17th. Coming up on the podcast, an Ottawa high school has the distinction of being the first school closed by a COVID outbreak. A teacher with symptoms showing up for work allegedly caused it. We'll discuss that with president of the high school teachers union. And are pharmacists ready to start COVID tests for asymptomatic people? We'll find out. But first, an update from our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Travis Danraj, on what the province plans to do about gathering limits in COVID hotspots. So keep in mind that they are meeting right now, that, you know, things change at the last minute. But from what we are hearing right now, the government plans to reduce the, the limits on uh, indoor gatherings and outdoor gatherings. We're talking about private gatherings here. So right now, uh, the limit for uh, indoor gatherings is 50. For outdoors, it's 100. Uh, in Peel, Toronto, and Ottawa, the government plans to make those restrictions 10 people indoors and 25 people outdoors. So that's pretty significant. So that's an announcement yeah. coming at 1.30 this afternoon. We'll carry that live right here on 640 Toronto. And one thing that I need to stress is that's got to suck. If you've uh, planned your indoor wedding uh, with families uh, or even an outdoor, you're going to have to recheck your guest list. And when we talk about those limits on gatherings, if they're not the 10 in your bubble, you have to be masked up, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to put a caveat here that we... We don't know all of the details of this, so we don't know if weddings are exempt from this, when this goes into effect, et cetera. I'm still working on getting some of those details. But in okay. broad strokes, this is this is what's happening for private gatherings. The other part of this is enforcement. How do you enforce these rules in somebody's private home or in somebody's private backyard? That's the other piece of this that we're going to have to ask and push the government on this afternoon, uh, how they intend on enforcing these rules. Okay, well, Travis, we'll be uh, listening for your questions today after that presser live at 1.30. Thanks so much for joining us. No problem. All right. Ear to the ground, my friend. Ear to the ground, because he's trying to get all the information as it's uh, it's being leaked here and there, but uh, the meeting is still in. Now, one of the things that Ford had mentioned that he would be announcing coming soon, and who knows if he's going to do that today, is the fact that COVID testing will soon be allowed at pharmacies. Yesterday, we spoke with uh, the head of the uh, Pharmaceutical Association in Alberta, where they've been doing this. Since uh, July, that's when they started their pilot project, and about 1,400 different pharmacies have COVID tests there. Our guest now is Justin Bates. He's Chief Executive Officer at the Ontario Pharmacists Association. So, Justin, this hasn't been announced yet, but I'm sure that you guys are working out the details. What would this look like? Yeah, we're having collaborative and constructive uh, dialogue with the government on how this would be implemented and indeed operationalized in pharmacies. I think you've seen pharmacists step up uh, during the pandemic and contribute solutions. And I think it's really important that we help uh, with COVID testing to protect public health and keep the economy open. What we're proposing is a, a testing model for asymptomatic patients. It would be on a voluntary basis and uh, it would help alleviate some of the long wait times uh, that are happening now at the public testing centers. And it's really about load capacity. It's about ensuring that everybody has access and choice and can the convenience of pharmacies where we have over 4,600, we call them healthcare community hubs, but pharmacies in rural and uh, urban areas. Okay, so um, the way it's gonna way it works in Alberta is they're using a throat swab. Is that what you'd be doing here, or are you working with the the nasal swab that we would get through public health? 
It will be different than what's being currently administered through the the public health testing centers. What we are looking at is very similar to an Alberta-based model. Uh, There's two options that are being considered. One would be a shallow internal nasal swab, so not the deeper one that you would receive at the uh, public testing centers. And then uh, alternatively, also looking at the uh, throat swabs that are currently being uh, done in Alberta. The the advancements in the testing are going to continue to evolve. I think eventually we're going to see even take-home tests uh, with rapid point-of-care testing uh, capacity. So at the at this time, the, the approved tests and the ones that are most effective would be either that nasal swab or a throat swab. Right. I thought there was a problem with nasal swabs being too short. Like we had nasal swabs that weren't working for our testing kits because they didn't go back far enough. And, and you really have to get to that um, that area of the nose, which is quite high up and uncomfortable. I've had the test before in order for accuracy. Is that not the case anymore? Well, I think there's, there's certainly different types of tests. And as they continue to innovate and evolve, uh, it, the efficacy of those tests are also improving. Uh, and you've seen some of the rapid tests in the U.S. around saliva uh, and different um, ways in which to collect the, the specimen. So they are effective. And, and when we're talking about asymptomatic patients, I think it's it's critical that we stop the spread or at least prevent uh, mm-hmm. future spread by ensuring that everybody has access because you may have come in contact, but also a lot of people could be out in the community going back to work uh, and so forth to uh, and, and be potentially spreading the virus and not even knowing it. So, you know, it's, it's much more costly if we don't test everyone, if we have to put in place additional restrictions on the economy. And we've seen how that played out in stage one or phase one of the uh, pandemic. And I think we, you know, we can probably safely say that we're into uh, a second wave with the uptick, unfortunately, of COVID cases. So it's, it's more important now more than ever to ensure that patients have that access. Okay. We heard that they're booking appointments in Alberta. So you have to book an appointment. You can't just walk in and say, hi, I'd like a COVID test at your pharmacy if you're asymptomatic. If that's the case, will pharmacists only be considered if they have a separate room for people to go into? Those are some of the details that we're working out in terms of the criteria and parameters of the program. I think it it does make sense uh, the way that it's been implemented in Alberta to uh, ensure that we're keeping patients and pharmacy personnel safe. Uh, There's many safeguards that have already been implemented as pharmacies have remained open during the pandemic. You've seen the physical barriers. They have a quarantine room um, and the social distancing uh, in addition to the personal protective equipment that's going to be required. So an appointment-based model is one uh, example of how this could be operationalized in a separate room. Uh, Certainly, we don't want uh, to have people being tested in the aisle, so that won't be the Mm -hmm. case. Um, And each each store owner, pharmacy owner, will look at uh, how optimally to implement this within the guidelines that are provided. All right. Everybody knows it's a wonderful life. And Mr. Gower, who was dealing with the death of his, uh, I believe it was his son. And uh, so he made a a terrible critical error that could have led to a fatality while he was, you know, uh, fixing uh, somebody's medication behind the counter. Of course, we know what happened. George Bailey uh, saw that and, uh, and, and tragedy was averted. Why I bring this up is the fact that our, um, pharmacists are so overworked right now. I mean, they're not only going to be 
adhering the flu shot, but they've also got um, other shots. Like I think they give the shingles vaccine now. Uh, they are dealing with uh, filling prescriptions. Is there a chance that we might be overworking them with COVID-19 and distracting them too much? Well, you raised some great points. And, and certainly as the uh, association uh, that's advocating on behalf of uh, pharmacy owners and pharmacists, we look at all kinds of issues around how do we optimally implement services utilizing the resources that are available and and certainly adding to that with best practices so pharmacists are ready to step up uh, they've demonstrated their value in the uh, in the healthcare system in terms of adding capacity i think with testing in particular uh, we are looking at how uh, we can utilize better utilize the pharmacy regulated pharmacy technicians so there is a technical component to uh, to the test that would still have mm-hmm. the oversight of the pharmacists, and that's uh, certainly one uh, such thing that can be done to uh, ensure that um, from a resource standpoint, uh, we're certainly capable of delivering on it. Vaccinations is something we've been doing for several years. We've vaccinated last season over 1.4 million Ontarians with the flu vaccine. Uh, so we've you know, successfully implemented that. And uh, I think every owner, pharmacy owner, is going to look at this and determine you know, how do they embrace and, and operationalize scope of practice. Some will specialize in some areas. Some may choose not to do testing and others will. I think that's the, the opportunity here is to provide choice for patients um, and uh, allow for an expansion so that we can take away some of the burdens of the healthcare system. Even if they're asymptomatic, though, they could have COVID-19, which which makes me nervous because whenever I've gotten a flu shot at the pharmacy, the pharmacist comes out, administers the shot, then goes back behind the uh, the desk and does whatever they were doing, fills the the uh, the orders for uh, prescriptions. So my worry is, are they going to have to don and doff uh, PPE and, and gowns and such? Because when I got my COVID test, trust me, I was asymptomatic. I didn't have COVID. Uh, but when I went into the trailer, they were kitted out. So I would expect the same kind of care. And so then you wonder how long we're going to be waiting for prescriptions to be filled, how overworked these people are. These are concerns that I have and I'm just riffing on. And if I had more time with you, we could talk more, but I actually have to, to break for a news update. And I, I want to thank you for your time because these are all questions that hopefully you guys will work out over the next few days. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. That is Justin Bates, Chief Executive Officer at the Ontario Pharmacists Association. You may have heard us talking about this last week that the Ontario government has started a website where they update anyone. They, they are completely transparent about COVID-19 outbreaks in schools and daycare centers. And since class resumed, I was reading in the Star today that there have been a total of 41 COVID-19 cases uh, reported in 35 of the province's 4,828 schools. Of those, 15 are student-related, 18 are staff-related, and eight are unknown. But the big story today is about that school in the Ottawa Valley in Pembroke, to be exact. They are the first school to close down following their COVID-19 outbreak. Basically, uh, what happened is a teacher went to school. It seems like this happened um, when they were probably getting set up or before the classes began. So when you go into your classroom to make sure that everything is all good and ready to go for the school year, teacher came to work with symptoms. So I don't know what that means. Like, did they have uh, a store, uh, a headache, a sore stomach? Uh, did they have a uh, runny nose? We don't know what the symptoms were, but they came to school or to the school where they work with symptoms. And while they were there, masks weren't worn around other teachers. And at least one other teacher um, contracted COVID and then 
Two more have um, have prompted the school to close. One of them has also uh, tested positive, and the other is suspected to be positive. So that could be four in all. And this is obviously a provincial guideline that you wear a mask if you cannot keep your distancing of six feet when indoors. Uh, so here to talk about it, because, I mean, it's a big story, um, and you wonder what the teacher is thinking going to school, potentially infecting a bunch of people, because we hear all the time the teachers are concerned about the, the class sizes, that they're worried about getting COVID from kids. They're worried about kids, kids passing COVID to each other. So you would wonder why a teacher would, you know, possibly put other people in harm's way like this. Uh, here to talk about it, President of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, Harvey Bischoff. Welcome to the show, Harvey. Good to have you. Thanks, Kelly. I think the first thing that came to mind is what, what exactly are the guidelines for uh, teachers at school when it comes to wearing masks? Um, you know, anybody who can uh, should be wearing uh, the mask that's provided by their employer, um, you know, for all the time they can while they're at school. Not everybody can. Some people have underlying conditions that make that impossible. And undoubtedly, people are going to find need to find ways to take a break from wearing a mask for, you know, six or seven hours straight. Um, but certainly, you know, I think that, I think the guidelines are pretty clear in terms of the expectation that masks should be on. I know there's some people that can't wear masks because of underlying health conditions, and you brought them up. Are those teachers not strongly advised to stay home and teach online this year? I think it'll be that, it, you know, th- those those determinations are made case by case and school board by school board. So there wouldn't necessarily be a whole province-wide edict on that, uh, as there has been about so little, frankly. Um, so it, it may vary by case. Okay, what about, um, we know that students are advised if they have symptoms, they can't come to school, they have to take the, you know, their parents are supposed to be pre-screening them and keep them home um, and and monitor them. What's the situation and the guideline when it comes to teachers? Are they to take the day off school if they show symptoms? Um Yes, depending. I mean, so there is a screening tool um, and apparently a new one put out yesterday. Um, and a screening tool means a checklist, right? It means a, a kind of a, a survey. You go through, you answer the questions and, and it tells you whether or not, you know, you should be isolating or whatever. Um, but one of the, you know, one of the exemptions is if you have like it's, if you have symptoms that aren't attributable to, you know, uh, uh, a certain, you know, um, a condition that you already know you have. For example, I mean, I have seasonal allergies all through allergy season. I, I sniffle and, and sneeze, and and that wouldn't be, I'd, in my understanding, considered a symptom that would require me to stay home because I've, you know, had these since long before COVID came around. Um, so, you know, the screening tools are going to be less than perfect. Certainly, if anybody has, you know, the onset of symptoms that that align in any way with the with the screening tool. We want them to follow the uh, medical officer's advice. Okay, I was just wondering as well, you know, we've got a situation where a teacher went to school uh, with symptoms and did not wear a mask around another teacher, passing it on to them. And then uh, one of the teachers uh, who also became COVID positive taught a class. I mean, it's very worrisome. It's, It's like the perfect storm for a school outbreak and also a school closing down, which is what actually happened in the case in Pembroke. But... Could these teachers face any sort of disciplinary action? 
Well, I want to go back for a second because I don't, you know, I don't have any confirmation and, and I don't want a rush to judgment on whether or not any of these individuals was masked or not. I heard, you know, one report from one student saying that there were some people seen without masks. That's not okay. enough for me to conclude that that, you know, that was the case for any of these individuals. And, you know, frankly, my first concern for these individuals uh, is for their health and, you know, for, for that of anybody they may have come in contact with. Uh, their health and well-being. That that very much concerns me. Um, so so you know, like I say, I'm not prepared to rush to judgment. There's a lot to learn, but it surely is a reminder to everybody that schools are tinderboxes right now, and none of us wants to be the spark that sets them off. Okay, so by that, I'm guessing they're not facing any kind of uh, disciplinary action. I'm not aware that there's been an investigation. We, I mean, we're not we're not. So you'd have to launch an investigation in order for something to be done. Is that correct? Well, the school, the school board would need to, I mean, it's, that's the employer's job is to see if they're, uh, you know, to look into uh, employee uh, uh, conduct and determine whether or not there's, you know, there's something they need to address. And, and I, you know, in my understanding, we're not there at all at this point. Okay. So what are you hearing from members, other members uh, about, about this story? Are they concerned about how it possibly looks on them or how, hard they're working to keep kids safe. Are you hearing any uh, pushback from other members? Well, I mean, not a lot yet, quite honestly. The story broke last night, and, you know, I'm talking to you this morning, so so there hasn't been much opportunity uh, for that. But, you know, there would be concern about, about how they're being uh, portrayed. There would be concern as well for the, the well-being uh, of the individuals. But there's also concern for the fact that, as I say, you know, Schools are, are these tinderboxes right now. This is a school in a non-designated board, meaning that the classes are full size. There's no reduction in class size. And, and, and we also have the apparent uh, fact that one of the educators, and it's not clear to me that it was a teacher or some other uh, education worker, worked in multiple classrooms. And, you know, we've been saying for weeks it's, it's inappropriate to claim there's a cohort when you have educators piercing those cohorts because their job takes them into you know, itinerant work or multi-classroom work or whatever it is. And so those things tell me that, you know, the concerns that my members have about the the insufficient risk mitigation in our schools are are very real, and it doesn't take much of a spark to set this off. Mm -hmm. One of the big things I take away from here, Harvey, and we might not see eye to eye on this, but is that that teachers are humans, and we are so starved to see people that, you know, we normally socialize with on a daily basis that we may take some chances thinking, uh, you know, um, we're, we're sort of back to normal because we're actually face to face with people again. And uh, it, it, I think that it's very possible that one of the, the places in schools that worries me the most is the staff room. Like, I'd like to know that schools are making it mandatory that staff you know, although they're going to see each other every day, they're not necessarily in each other's bubbles. That masking is of paramount importance, especially in that staff room where teachers have traditionally been able to, you know, kick back, take a breather, do a little socializing, re-energize um, before they get back to uh, class again. Yeah, I, I I don't see any reason why we wouldn't see eye to eye on that, to be honest, uh, Kelly. Um, I mean, for the most part, what I've heard is that those staff rooms aren't even, they're not open for people to congregate in. Um, Perfect. Which, you know, which makes sense to me under the circumstances. And I want members to take every precaution for their own health, their colleagues. Uh, you know, I, I want all of them to be safe and their students, of course, and the families that all those people uh, go home to. So, yeah, please wear a mask. Please don't congregate inappropriately. I mean, all of those things are the warnings we've we've heard. 
And, you know, we've seen what's happening in broader society with uh, with fatigue. And as you say, you know, I mean, educators are are human, um, but we just can't afford to let up right now. Well, Harvey, I want to thank you for your time because I know you're in uh, high demand. So I appreciate you putting us at the top of the list this morning. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Have a great day. As president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, Harvey Bischoff, talking about that teacher who came to work uh, with symptoms, allegedly uh, was not allegedly wearing a mask uh, or allegedly not wearing a mask, I think is the proper way to say that. So um, these are, you know, this is a Toronto Sun story, it's Toronto Star story, rather. It's also a CBC story right now where they've been reporting the same thing that one of the teachers was without a mask around other teachers and they happen to be symptomatic. I just think we have to take some, I, I understand you might have seasonal allergies, but like, come on, you're a teacher working within the school system where you actually, your job is not at risk if you take a sick day and you have a lot of responsibility as we get back to normal. I think at the very least, even if you suspected seasonal allergies, you should take the day off. Now, I don't know if school boards um, or advising teachers to take the day off. So it would be interesting to hear because I know there's so many different school boards that have their own, you know, way of um, getting back to business. Uh, but this is not a normal, it's not a normal school year. So uh, at the very least, shouldn't we be acting with all, an extra amount of personal responsibility, especially when it comes to people's kids and the general population on the whole. Well, that's it for the podcast. Don't forget, we're on daily 9 a.m. till noon live on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.